Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning on this Friday the 13th, which just sounds inauspicious when you say it. <clears throat> Good morning on this Friday the 13th of August 2021. We're going to lead off this morning uh, by praying the news. You have likely already heard that uh, the U.S. military is reengaged in order to actively evacuate U.S. diplomatic personnel uh, in Afghanistan in what the State Department actually insists is not an evacuation, but it sure does look like one. Uh, Taliban fighters have captured the key southern city of Kandahar, uh, and the Taliban now control more than a dozen of Afghanistan's provincial capitals. Um, somebody asked me, what does that like? What does that mean? Like, can you liken that to America? Uh, so just imagine for a moment that when we talk about provincial capitals, let's say, let's liken that to um, state capitals here in the in the U.S. So just imagine that pretty much everything south of D.C. were uh, in the control of some kind of rebel force and that there were no U.S. military personnel present in any of those state capitals and that those state capital governments had actually conceded control of all of those state capitals to um, to a rebel force. So that's my best, uh, the best way that I could draw a parallel here to the United States, which of course none of us could ever imagine happening, but it is happening in Afghanistan. And Taliban forces are now closing in on the nation's capital of Kabul, which has in turn um, created some urgency of getting diplomatic personnel for the United States out of the embassy, which is very large, by the way. The U.S. embassy, the U.S. diplomatic presence in Afghanistan is very large. And so um, getting everyone out and, of course, leaving nothing behind that could, I suppose, be used against us. Um, Because, after all, you know, although the Biden administration is currently pleading, that is the word used by the Associated Press, that the Biden administration is pleading with the Taliban to spare the U.S. embassy. You can't necessarily expect that that's going to happen. Uh, And so the United States is in the process of offering ongoing U.S. aid to whatever future government might emerge in Afghanistan, uh, assuming that that will now include the very people or the very threat that the U.S. forces have labored 20 years to defeat. So it is um, it is complicated and it is a mess. And we want to lift up um, the entire situation. But I, in particular, want to lift up the women and the girls of Afghanistan. I want to lift up the Christians. I want to lift up um, minority Muslims who do not side with the Taliban um, because this is a ruthless, brutal uh, um, Islamic um, movement. I don't have a better word for it. It's a movement. 
and it's on the move. All right, so let us be praying today. That's my hashtag pray the news uh, headline for the day. We're going to turn in the first segment to an intentional conversation about Christian community. I am going to bring you up to date on the death of my brother-in-law, and then we're just going to walk around in the reality of what families like mine um, are doing in the midst of seasons of grief. So we're going to take a little walk in the Valley of the Shadow. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Well, good morning. A little, um, just a little personal time together, you and I, this morning over coffee. For those of you who were with us yesterday, um, you're aware that my brother-in-law, Joe LaBerge, went to be with Jesus yesterday. He went home to be with the Lord, which leaves a big hole, particularly in um, the life of my precious husband, Jim. And so we are walking through the valley of the shadow and you know, everybody goes there, like, right? So literally every family walks the journey that we are currently walking. And I thought that this morning, we're just going to spend a little time talking about that reality. You know, so yesterday uh, started uh, with time at the hospital, dealing with everything there. And then, of course, you have the immediate conversation about the care of Joe's body, um, which then leads you to a conversation about a funeral home, which then leads you to a conversation about um, when and where and what and who and how and how much. And so uh, Joe did not have any of his own plans in place, which meant that yesterday uh, Jim and I spent our time at the funeral home and then trying to find particular papers in Joe's house, uh, and then which involved our having to get the landlord <laughs> involved. We also visited with his employer and talked about some things there. We met with the pastor and organized things related to a service that will take place at the church, and um, which all of which, you know, was combined with a conversation about, well, where will Joe be buried? And so I mentioned um, to you that Joe had one son, and Joey died some 20 years ago now. And so Jim reached out to the cemetery where Joey is buried. And um, so we went there. And so in, well, and and of course, in the midst of all of that, um, the kids are at our house and there's a lot of stories being shared and there's real grief and there's conversations about, you know, I got to go get a new suit or I don't have a pair of black shoes or (laughs) you totally know how this goes, right? If you've walked this journey, you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, there are just a lot of things to do and deal with. And um, so real conversations about reality were a part of all of that. Uh, well, have you guys thought about where you're going to be buried? Where would your papers be? What do you want done with your body? It it does provide for real, honest conversations. And the good news is in my family, like everybody's already on the right side of the conversation about where are you going to spend eternity? Um, and so we have these conversations in the context of, real joy and a celebration of where Joe is and 
the knowledge of God's goodness and grace. I recognize that not every family has these conversations in that context. And so let me encourage you to um, do that business first, which we talked about yesterday as well. So there was this one moment of absolute grace, total evidence of God's personal provision in all of this. So um, the cemetery where Joey is buried is on the other side of town because that's where Joe lived at the time that his son died. And of course, he had no plans to bury a child. And so um, at that point in time, 20 years ago, uh, you know, you you buy a cemetery plot and you do what you have to do. And so we called them and we drove over there. And the the woman initially on the phone said, well, you know, that's that's actually a really long because obviously our request was could could Joe be buried next to his son? And she said, well, that's a really long time ago. And there's I mean, that portion of the cemetery is completely full. So Joe could be buried here in the cemetery, but not in that section. So that was um, a momentary, you know, like pause and swallow deeply and all of that. And so we get there and she she meets us and she has this giant piece of foam core board where they have like hand drawn out every every plot uh, in the cemetery. And she's holding it and you can see it's completely full. Like there's no there's all these tiny little boxes and they all have a person's name and and she has this wide-eyed expression. And uh, so anyway, we introduce ourselves and she says, I can't believe what I'm about to tell you. And she holds up this board and she says, this is where your nephew, Joey, is buried. And this is, you know, tiny little square. And, and she says, can you see what's next to it? Okay, there's one, one blank. On this entire board, there's one little square that's blank. And it's the little square right next to Joey. It's on the very end. It's in the corner. It's up on a hill. It's under a tree. It couldn't be more perfect. And so Joe will be buried next to his son, Joey. And that was yesterday's moment of God's personal provision uh, in the life of our family. We're going to take a very brief break. We come back. We're going to talk about how uh, we walk in community through the Valley of the Shadow. I'm going to use a little bit of a testimony from a church called North Coast that is walking together in grief right now as well. We'll be right back. All right, so the ones left standing are the ones who, right, we, we bear the burden of of all of the details and the challenges, and there are precious moments, and there are deeply difficult decisions to make. So today, you know, as a family, we got to communicate the plans that we've made. we got to tend, to tend to details. i got to find a form called the DT-214. Let me just go ahead and tell you. I don't know where I'm going to find that, but Joe served in the military, and uh, our our Marine and our family would very much like for there to be an honor guard at the graveside. So I got to find this form called a DD-214. So, you know, if you got any counselor wisdom on that, let me know. Um, you know, they, they want pictures. Like, so let's make this picture thing that could be rolling during the visitation. 
Where are we going to find those? How are we going to get those scanned in? What clothes will he wear? Um, and so that's been a great conversation because I have literally only on one occasion in 10 years ever seen my brother-in-law in anything other than overalls. So on one occasion in 10 years, I have seen him in something other than overalls. And that was at my wedding. So um, Joe's going to be buried in his overalls because it doesn't make any sense for uh, him to be buried in anything else. So there you go. Flowers, food, accommodation for those who want to attend but can't. Like, you know, how are we going to set up a Zoom? A, a million little things, right? And mo- woven through all of that are are the conversations, the moments where, you know, you sink into grief and and you ask questions and you wonder why. And all of that is human and real and fortunately, we have those conversations in our family in the context of faith. The North Coast Church is a very big church, multi-campus church in, uh, in California, based in California. And they are together walking through a very deep place in the valley of the shadow of death. Um, Paige Hilkin, the wife of one of North Coast three teaching pastors, Christopher Hilkin, uh, Paige was 28 years old, the mom of five little kids, all under six. Um, she has been battling mental illness for um, some period of time, and she took her own life. And so I wanted to lift this story up today in part because a very large segment of our Christian community um, needs to have the conversation about mental illness, about the challenges that people face, the the darkness in which many people walk, the reality of a broken world, and the reality of God's all-sufficient grace for everything and in every moment. And this church, this North Coast church, is walking through this valley of the shadow of death in a way that I think is admirable and worth um, taking note of. And so you can actually go and watch the message that um, Pastor Larry Osborne offered to the congregation this past Sunday, the sermon that um, deals with the how can this be, how could a Christian leader go through this, Um, you know, did they do something to bring this on themselves? I mean, on and on and on. He deals with all of the really, really hard questions. So um, I ask uh, Paul to track down the audio. We then ask permission from the North Coast Church to share a portion of it with you this morning. So, Paul, let's just listen to um, to to part of the message that Larry Osborne offered to the congregation about the need for community. The enemy wins whenever he convinces us to keep our struggles in the closet. Again, as I mentioned, Christopher and Paige did not do that. But so many of us, that's our tendency. And that makes these kind of things all the harder on us because we're afraid, frankly, of what people will think. Sadly, too many of us go it alone. Out of shame, fear, intimidation, I don't know why, but we go it alone. But our fellow believers, our community of believers around us, what they are is they are the hands and feet of Jesus today. And yes, the Lord can step in and miraculously do something. And, the, and we have what we call a personal relationship with the Lord. But more often than not, the Lord's help, the Lord's victory, all that the Lord gives us in the midst of something like this comes through the hands and the feet of other Christians. And they can't do the work of Jesus if we pretend everything is okay. I often think of the typical church answer. You know it. You're walking through church, one of our campuses, venues, wherever it would be, and you see somebody, uh, there's an acquaintance who you know, and you go, hey, how you doing? And what do we always say? I call it the church answer. Fine, fine. 
doesn't matter. My life is totally falling apart. What I say is fine. Now, I get that. That's part of just the social graces of our culture. Because candidly, sometimes when I say, how you doing? I really don't want to know. I'm saying, I see you. But still, that's okay as social graces among acquaintances. But here's the problem. We can't live there. I implore you, implore you as one of your pastors to have people in your life who will not take fine for an answer. Frankly, that's why we've put together the life group system that we have here at North Coast. You know, if we were a small little community, uh, like throughout most of antiquity, where there was not much mobility or no mobility, and generation after generation lived in the same place, we wouldn't need these life groups. Because everybody would know everybody really well. For those of you old enough or or watch old TV shows, we'd be Mayberry USA. But the reality is most of us across this country, we are not very rooted. Tons of us are living far from any other family, far from uh, where we grew up, far from the kind of support that you would have when you have generation after generation. So what we've tried to do is create a place where those kind of relationships and that kind of honesty, the sense of safety can be there for you. You know, those of you that are not in a life group, you might look at it and you might think, well, I just don't need more Bible study or I don't know the Bible a whole lot. I'm not sure I really need to go there. I don't want to tell you, that's not the focus of our life groups. Yeah, we take the sermon and dig deeper into it. And uh, we have a discipleship helping you grow in Jesus component to it. But the core thing, the most important thing from decades ago when we started it was to make sure we all had a place where we could be real. It's really about relationships. Frankly, I've always felt if the study's not very good and the relationships are great, it's a home run. And if the study is great and the relationships are shallow, it's a loser. You don't want to be in a group where, wow, we dug deep, but I can't remember their friend's na- your friend's name. No, you need to be in a place where when people say, how you doing, and you say, fine, they go, no, no, I can tell that's not true. Because we all go through valleys, different ones, some incredibly extreme and others not so extreme. But we need the help when we go through them. You see, emotionally, the emotional alarms in our life are kind of like a smoke alarm. You know, the smoke alarm in your kitchen goes off just the same, whether the kitchen is ablaze or somebody is burning the toast. It goes off just the same. And that's the reality of the life we live. Some of us are going, well, my problems aren't that big. Listen, if the alarm's going off, let people know. It's not, you know, oh, uh, the kitchen's aflame. Oh, it's only burning toast. No, we need in our lives people who care about the burning toast. Because if we don't have those, we'll have no one in our life when the kitchen is aflame. All right, I love that. Uh, I love that image. And Paul, thank you for um, tracking down that audio You're and uh, just allowing us to listen in this morning on Larry Osborne's message. Um, a couple of things that stand out to me that uh, I, I want us to, if you've got a notebook handy, just take note of this. Like he talks about social graces, and he's talking about that as juxtaposed against the reality of God's grace. And so today. Um, don't say you're fine if you're not. And don't take someone else's answer that they're fine if you know they're not. Like, be the person who leans in today to the not fineness of your own life or the not fineness of someone else's life. God is good. His grace is all sufficient. And we need each other. We need each other. 
Jim and I are so thankful and appreciative of your prayers yesterday, the ongoing prayers that you're lifting up today, the ways in which we know that you'll be praying for us over the weekend um, and into Monday when uh, when the celebration of Joe's life takes place. Uh, we rely on one another in community. We lean hard on our Christian brothers and sisters. And so I just want to invite you to lean in today um, and and lean on one another. And let me lift up um, one prayer concern that came in overnight on our text line, because I want you to pray today for this um, this fellow um, member of the Faith Radio family. This person says, I'm feeling God's silence in my seeking of community and friendship. Um, and my partner had a stroke, and now I just feel like we need a miracle. We need support. So pray today for this um, this brother or sister in Christ who's struggling today, who desires to be in community. And then let's, let's make some community today with each other. Um, lean into a relationship. Call someone up. Send someone a text message. Tell them that, you know what, I want to get beyond social graces, and I want to get to the reality of God's grace with you. Um, in in real community, in real relationship. I'm not fine. I'm not fine. Let's be honest with each other. Um, Let's rely on one another. Let's build community. Let's be the body. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, we're going to catch up with our friend Chris Martin. He has a piece posted, um, Echo Chambers Don't Cause Polarization. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. James chapter 1 commands us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's a tall order, isn't it? Especially with teens in the house. Hi, I'm Mark Grigston with Parenting Today's Teens. I love that verse because it communicates something I see every day. When parents jump to conclusions or begin lecturing before they've listened, it does more harm than good. When your teen acts up, ask questions first. Be quick to listen. Her actions may signal an issue or incident you haven't heard about yet. She's using her actions to alert you. Let's be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Mark Gregson is devoted to helping parents of struggling teens. For more helpful parenting resources, go to parentingtodaysteens.org, parentingtodaysteens.org. Chris Martin, you can find him at the Terms of Service blog. Terms of Service with Chris Martin is probably what you want to Google there. He is an editor for Moody Press and a social media consultant and all-around good guy. Chris, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you have a really um, interesting, I think, provocative conversational piece posted right now on your Terms of Service blog, and that is echo chambers don't cause polarization, which, of course, just to say that something does or doesn't cause something else is probably uh, polarizing, which kind of is your point. Yeah, yeah, there's a really, um, 
there's an interesting book uh, published relatively recently in the last year or so called Breaking the Social Media Prism by Chris Bale, who's a professor of, of I think, sociology at Duke University. And um, recently, I, I read the book um, around the turn of the new year, I think, and recently Tim Keller reviewed his uh, this book uh, for the Gospel Coalition and his own uh, magazine. And uh, I really appreciated Tim Keller's review. I always think it's really helpful, first of all, when um, Christian leaders of any kind, whether they're Tim Keller or just a local church pastor, uh, are reading books written by non-Christians. Like, I think it's, I mean, look, I work for a Christian publisher, so I obviously um, see the value in Christian books, but I think it is really helpful a lot of times, especially in areas like things that I'm interested in, like the internet or social media, to read people who aren't Christians and then um, apply their findings from their studies uh, to the Christian life. And I think Tim Keller does that really well when he reviewed Chris Bale's book, Breaking the Social Media Prism. And one of the things that Chris Bale uh, recognizes is by, by honestly, by doing research, uh, by this isn't just something that he uh, kind of postulates. Uh, he's done the work, the hard work that many of us aren't able to do uh, and, and did, the, uh, did actual studies on what causes polarization on social media. And what he and his team found and what other folks have found as they've researched uh, social media and polarization is, yes, polarization is prevalent on social media. It has been um, it has been amplified by social media. Social media has increased polarization in society, no doubt. Um, and polarization is a problem for a whole host of reasons. Um, but and and echo chambers are a problem for a whole host of reasons. However, um, where common logic would say, well, the fact that we're in our own little echo chambers and filter bubbles is causing us to be more polarized. That's kind of logical, and that's what myself and others have thought for a long time. Um, there's more and more data coming out to say, actually, echo chambers aren't the reason for our polarization. If anything, echo chambers, us retreating to our own little ideological tribes on the internet, is more of a result of polarization mm -hmm. than a cause of polarization. Um, and so it is logical to think, well, you know, we congregate around people online that we believe the same things as or live the same ways as. Um, so therefore, we think we think less of people who think or live differently than we do. Um, and while that's an understandable belief, it's actually a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, and the reasons that we are polarized are, in fact, I think a little bit more interesting. So your um, your piece reminded me, and actually this entire conversation reminded me um, about a University of Chicago book, uh, researcher and book that I read. And again, she's not a Christian. Um, really turning on the head the idea that our faith drives our politics, because her research actually demonstrated that, in fact, the reverse is true. Our politics drive our choices of uh, whether or not to engage in particular religious uh, communities or institutions and which ones we choose to engage in. So uh, in, in much the same way that this conversation is, hey, our echo chambers drive our polarization. Oh, in fact, no, they don't. The opposite is true. Um, the choices that we make in terms of where we worship and who we worship with um, and and how we understand our faith is actually more driven by our politics than is true in the reverse. And so, Chris, I think yeah. this gets it, it, part of, I think, what this conversation starts to scratch the itch of. We have for a long time said, you know, politics is downstream of culture. 
it's possible that that there is no real obvious upstream downstream anymore. It's just like a crazy whirlpool vortex. Like it's there's not like a yeah. stream anymore. There's like a <laughs> you know, so I just think that sometimes us are stopping and saying, "Hey, we've kind of taken for granted the statement echo chambers drive polarization or politics is downstream of culture or, you know, whatever. And each and every one of those statements now needs to be evaluated because things have changed so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's for sure. I mean, the, uh, the, the internet has changed everything at warp speed, which is why I, I maintain that the social internet, like the internet that connects us to other people, um, that's been around since the early two thousands, you know, since we first started using the internet, not just for, um, Googling, but for email and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's the most dramatic technological innovation in human history, no doubt. And obviously like electricity or like the light bulb and, and the harnessing of electricity and stuff that that had to pave the way for, for the internet. We couldn't have the internet without those things. But I think when you, when history in the, I've, I've long said, and I think it's in the book that I'm publishing in February, the at the last anthropology class in the history of the world, you know, whether it's right before Jesus comes back or before the heat death of the universe or whatever else, when in the last anthropology, you know, might, might be held on Mars. But when that last anthropology class is going on, I think our generations of family members or kids or grandkids or whatever in, in the year 2200 will look back and say, Man, when the social when the social internet came around in, in around the year two thousand and the late nineteen nineties, that really changed everything and sped everything up in a way that nothing had been before. Um, and I think what you've identified is exactly right. Uh, and I think we see it in polarization. I think we see it in um, politics, which those things go hand in hand. And I think it's it's what I think I've said on here before. Um, the social internet is the next great tower of Babel. Um, it is the virtual Tower of Babel where we come together and we think it's this great thing where we can all become gods in, of our own making and we work together in the common language that is the social internet to try to create this monstrosity that um, is really not as great as we often think it is. And unfortunately, we don't understand it as often as we maybe think we do. Yeah, or those we're engaging with on it as well. We make tons yes. of assumptions. Mm -hmm. I just think we make tons of assumptions. All right, let's... Um, Let's pivot uh, from this conversation to one that you teed up for us and I find totally fascinating. So I'm going to set it up and then we're going to take a very brief break. We're talking with Chris Martin. Uh, Terms of Service blog is where you can find him on Substack. He's an editor for Moody Press and a social media consultant. I want to talk about Neopets. Not sure that everyone listening will even know what a Neopet is. So um, Neopets... Uh, is what we're going to talk about next. I don't know. I thought it was a pet, like a pet. It's not. It's not actually a pet. <laughs> it's like a virtual okay. one. This, yeah. I don't know. We're gonna. I know. We're gonna. We're gonna let you tell us next. All right. That's next up here on Mornings with Carmen. We All right, continuing our conversation with Chris Martin, who is now going to explain to us what, in fact, is a Neopet and what is the Neopet community. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so this is really fun and, and funny to me that we're talking about Neopets because Neopets is like, you know, we talk <laughs> a lot of times about the like bleeding edge, like kind of topics of what's going on on social media and the Internet. 
and Neopets haven't been relevant since like the early 2000s, late 1999. <laughs> uh, and so, but this is but about this is about I, my speed. I, then this is right on track for me. This yeah. is, sounds perfectly yeah, right so, on track. So I was born in 1990. So I was really like um, in the late 90s and early 2000s. I was really like starting to use the internet, you know, as an elementary schooler, and was really kind of one of the youngest people, you know, using the internet at that time. And um, that's that's part of why the internet, the social internet, is so fascinating to me, is because I kind of grew up with it. I was one of like the first people to kind of grow up with it, you know, given my age. And there's a really interesting article written toward the end of July by Rex Woodbury, who does a lot of like. Silicon Valley and internet, like investing and, and writing and thinking. And he's, he's really brilliant. His newsletter is much better than mine. Um, and he talked about how Neopets, this late 90s, early 2000s internet phenomenon, paved the way for so much of what we see on the internet today. So to briefly summarize, Neopets was like, if you remember Tamagotchis, like those little, those little like uh, digital pets you could carry around on like keychain fob looking things. Neopets mm-hmm. were like the the internet version of that, where once everybody was using a computer and had a web browser and could go to neopets.com, um, it was like you had this virtual pet, and Pokemon was very popular at the time. So mm-hmm. it was kind of capitalizing on the Pokemon phenomenon. And so you could have a Neopet that looks like a little bird or a Neopet that looks like a little dragon or a dog, and they're, they're very fantastical, very colorful um, if you know what like My Little Pony characters look like, some of them look like that. Um, and and what's interesting about Neopets and why it's still relevant today, the only reason we're talking about it, is on Neopets there were so there are so many things that that kind of ecosystem pioneered that really drive our internet experience today. Um, that was the first time that major corporations were advertising in like in social social settings on the internet and games. So like McDonald's was advertising with Neopets. You could go to the Disney theater in the Neopets universe. Um, you could, yeah, you could go to a, a like virtual McDonald's and buy your little Neopet a McDonald's hamburger. Um, and, and so like immersive advertising really began, the, the immersive advertising that follows us all around the internet in a very creepy way today started on Neopets. Neopets had a super in-depth, social media platform that was like message boards on steroids. So like message boards were the social media of that day, but they were so much more engaging and and so much more active than like any social, uh, any other social space on the internet at that time. And so it was kind of like the original, one of the original social networks before, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg was 15 when Neopets was a thing. So he was, Facebook wasn't even really a glimmer in his eye, I don't think, at that point. And it really paved the way for engaging with other people online. It built internet communities. So, like, um, people who were interested in, uh, people who were interested in Lord of the Rings or like Britney Spears back when she was a huge deal in the, in the late nineties could gather around. I mean, even though they were originally gathered around these, these little neopets that they would like tend to and take care of, um, they would also gather around other interests there. There was a, there was a digital economy. So if you've heard of like cryptocurrency, which I'm not even going to attempt to explain, uh, but if you've heard of like cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever else, um, there was a sort of virtual cryptocurrency like economy in neopets we're talking in the late 1990s uh and so much of like if you remember the gamestop stock craze back earlier in 2021 and how like a bunch of 20 and 30 somethings were just trading actual stock on the stock exchange off of their phones like it was a game and and in some cases making or losing fortunes um it's because back when they were 10 years old 
they were doing the same things with fake Neopets money. Um, so anyway, I don't need to go through everything, but there's so many parallels and and kind of different ways that um, Neopets forged the modern social internet. It taught a lot of people to code. I mean, one of the things that my wife and I talk about how we both used Neopets when we were nine or 10 years old before we even knew each other. And my wife is not super technical. She's not super tech savvy, that kind of thing. But she remembers learning how to code in HTML, like learning how to code basic websites by using Neopets because it encouraged you to like build a little digital home by coding in HTML for your for your pet. And so she remembers like learning some basic HTML code with Neopets. And I, I would say it's not far off to think there are a lot of people helping build websites today who first learned how to do it through this little game that they played on their computer when they were nine or 10 years old. So anyway, I think it's really interesting. It's just a fascinating piece, especially for me, given that I grew up with it, but maybe some of your listeners either grew up with it or, or their kids did and they kind of remember it. And I think it's interesting to look at how that kind of stuff really paves the way for where we are today. It's totally fascinating. And now that I have um, spent a couple of minutes looking at the website, so it's now pretty much all for adults. I mean, everybody has like grown up and now they're they're buying adult sized. I mean, there's no kid sized anything on this website, like in terms of the merch that you can buy. So, you know, the the Neopets crowd has grown up and they still have their Neopets and they're creating community art and selling it to each other and making coffee mugs and things like that. Like it's Yeah. I, yeah, it's um it's a community of people and and that is an interesting conversation to have. Uh, so Neopets as the first social network um, and really paving the way for all the ways we do so many things today in the digital uh, economy and in digital communities. It's just, it is fascinating. And, and it makes you wonder what are we, what exists today that might seem kind of weird or kind of out there that might be before its time in the same way that Neopets was kind of before its time. And it was kind of this game for kids, right? Uh, what what's out there right now that's before its time that maybe we say, oh, that's for kids or that's, you know, is it Fortnite? Is Fortnite somehow before its time? Somehow we're going to look back in 20 years and say, wow, the way we kind of dismissed Fortnite as some kids game. But, man, it really paved the way for X. You know, it's it's interesting to think about what are we experiencing right now that might be that might be kind of paving the way for for revolutions of the future. And it's not like you can engineer it. I mean, it just, it, that's yeah, one of the things yeah. that, I mean, I think that there's no way that whoever made Neopets initially thought to themselves, hey, you know what we're doing? We're laying the first brick in a road that is going to result in, right. uh, you know, completely revolutionizing how people communicate, how they gather together, um, how they do business, you know, how they sell their art online. I mean, all of it starts right there. It's really kind of crazy. Um, all right, Chris, what um, what are you looking at? What has your attention right now out there in the world? Oh, man, I'm, I'm reading a lot about the metaverse, which kind of goes along with this uh, Neopets idea that that there that, you know, what when we talk about what's the next thing, uh, like, what is that next thing? I think that um, a lot of people are turning their attention. Facebook has said they're a metaverse company now, not a social what media is, company. What you you need to tell us what that is because uh, I don't think we know what that word it, means. It is it's the best way to describe it, and this is definitely a topic for another time. The best way to describe it is a the line between our virtual worlds and our analog offline worlds blurring to the point that what we do online and what we do offline is is part of the same universe. So it, it looks like people playing games online 
and earning currency for doing a quest in the video game that they can then take and use to go buy a hamburger at McDonald's. Um, mm. it, it's, it's doing things on the internet that earns you some sort of currency and you build community with people in the same way you do in, in social media. Uh, but then you can also take that sort of money or currency that you earn and, and that it has real world implications. Um, mm. and I think there's, Social media, video games, and finances are all starting to kind of meld together in a way that um, I think a sort of digital metaverse that has re real world implications is probably what that next thing is. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But that is definitely a topic we can talk about another time. Totally. And I want to write the chapter um, in, your, in your metaverse book that's going to be called Blur, right? <laughs> I want to write the chapter oh, on good. like prayer as the sort of original right. version of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. that's funny. There that's you good. go. There you go. Chris Martin, always a joy to talk with you. Um, thank you for helping us think about things that, frankly, we don't think very much about, but you think a lot about, so we appreciate that. You guys can find Chris uh, at his sub stack, which is Terms of Service. Just Google Terms of Service with Chris Martin. You can also find him at Moody Press. He's a social media consultant. Thanks, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. All right, I don't know about you. I haven't given much thought to the metaverse, but now I'm going to give some thought to the metaverse. Absolutely for sure. What verses of scripture come to mind as you consider the way that the invisible reality in which we engage by prayer and acknowledging our intimate connection to Christ, who is the head, each one of us uh, abiding in Christ today like, how does that apply itself out here in the analog world of reality? See, I think that you and I can make those connections um, and we can help people wandering around in the wilderness of uh, this postmodern world. I think we can help them reconnect the eternal with the everyday. I think we can point to prayer. I think we can point to spiritual realities and say, you know what? Um, God's been uh, operating a metaverse reality way before you ever thought it up in the digital world. Uh, and, and I think that's helpful. So anyway, this might be something to noodle through today as you are making your way out there in the world that God so loves. Let's bring the eternal to bear on the everyday today. Let's help people reconnect with God. Uh, and if you have not yet made that reconnection, let me invite you to do so. God is offering up his grace to you in ways that will be all sufficient. And all you have to do is turn to him. Confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord. Um, and thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.